When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is going to be a conversation with an ex-professional poker player. A couple of quick things. Uh, There ended up being a lot of swearing in this podcast, so I wanted to give you guys a warning since that's a deviation from the norm. Also, David has a lot of views around money and dating that Charlie and I don't share, but in the name of having a fluid conversation, we don't necessarily say every single time that we disagree, but we did try to Uh, ask the questions we thought the audience would find the most interesting. And last thing, afterwards, David made some cuts to the episode, so I apologize for any rough transitions. And with that, Justin, let's uh, do the podcast. Episode something. What's up, man? It's our good friend. What's up, guys? Ex-professional poker player. We'll get into that. But what were we just talking about that we wanted to go live for? Ooh, so much. We were talking dating about Charlie's oh, dick size. Oh, <laughs> sorry. We're talking about Charlie's penis size. But first, you said you like living in LA more now that you have a girlfriend. You didn't like being single, which is surprising. Yeah, hit me. Yeah. Okay. So dating in LA. God, um, so much to talk about. I think the personalities that live in LA that are built in LA are not the best. Um, have you guys experienced the same you're not from LA. I live in Santa Monica, which I think is very different. So did you find that? I don't know, man. When people say LA, they feel like they're talking about the club scene, the downtown, the Instagram model wannabes. That's not my experience of dating in Santa Monica. Also, to be fair, we've never lived in like a small town in Middle a, a reasonable yeah. place, you know? So it's like compared to New York, Rio de Janeiro, Vancouver has amazing people. The personalities there are awesome. But, yeah, but all three places, you like Vancouver, uh, New York, and Brazil, like both those must have been better than LA, I would imagine. No, nah, New York and Brazil, New York, Rio de Janeiro, and LA is like same, same. Really? Yeah, it's good people. Why is, New York bad people? Not as, why is New York not better than LA? Why, why do you think LA be? is bad? Okay. Tell me why you think LA so, is bad. Dude, the personalities that I've met here, I think compared to, well, I've only been in Europe. Uh-huh. That's where that's what I'm comparing all this to. Okay. And LA compared to Europe is not even close. The level of maturity, like a 19 year old in Europe, is equivalent to like a 32 year old in LA in terms of maturity. Really? Um, I'm not exaggerating. It was so significantly different. Like you would go out and meet some girls that you'd like. A majority of girls you'd meet when going out would be like would be pretty high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and not and in, LA, in LA, dude, it's. Like I, what all you, I do, okay, you guys maturity, know me. What does maturity mean to you? Hold I'm on. just trying to figure this out. Okay. You know me very well. And, yeah, yeah, and you know, what was like my number when we were neighbors for a year and a half, what would you say was my number one priority? In life? <laughs> 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 Definitely meeting women. Okay. Uh, so, and that some has numbers, never wavered. I, <laughs> uh, I have met probably over a thousand girls. Uh, I've been on like 200 plus dates. Okay. Um, a majority of those in LA when we were living together, uh, and even before we started living together mm-hmm. and compared to like those numbers compared to like the dates that I went on in Europe, um, were not even close. Uh, do, you, do you think that because you were traveling and you were a foreigner that you, like you were attractive to a bigger percentage of the population or you were more attractive? So when you were going on these dates, you were getting treated differently. Yeah. I do think that I had better results in terms of like volume of girls I was meeting and, and like not being flaked on and having better results with online dating and just going out in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like having that American accent goes really far, but that has nothing to do with the quality of girls I was meeting. Um, even though I was meeting more girls, like each girl individually was of higher quality. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, so, yeah I was yeah. going to say, I want to hone in on this. So yeah, okay. what, what is that? What is a, a bad quality LA person to you? Uh, okay. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, use just, full, just today. Full names, My, first and last. <laughs> uh, 
my roommate today showed me a text exchange with this girl that he met at like a small New Year's party we had. And at your place? At, at our place, yeah. Oh, she came you. over. <laughs> I think I, know, I, I, said, I think it got lost in the mail. You're, you know, it went to spam. Your maybe. roommate doesn't like Charlie being at parties because he's scared that Charlie will take all the women. That is actually true. I know. Yeah, I know. Where did he get that idea, dude? Like, we can't have you guys at parties. Are you kidding me? You guys would <laughs> too handsome, still... too charismatic. You're not invited, Charlie. Anyways, so party that we're not at. Now you know why. Buddy. Now you know dude, that is why. You're like, why don't I get invited to parties? You will steal every. Girl. Oh, well, that's flattering. <laughs> Just a way of saying that okay. I'm not invited. Continuing with the... <laughs> No, it's because you're so cool, man. We can't have you. Um, okay, so she meets, he meets her so, at the party. So she, this girl was at the party, and she... Let me just read you the text, honestly, because okay. he just sent me screenshots. He's like, dude, is this life in LA? Um, if so, what is this going to mean for me? But basically, she Yeah, because you sent... guys are business partners now. You love it here, and he wants to get back to Europe. Well, this is someone completely different. Oh, interesting. Um, and... Let me just show you exactly what what she sent him. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, so he's trying to schedule <laughs> he's trying to schedule a date with her, and and he suggests um, getting drinks near Santa Monica. And she's like, um, I think we might have talked about this on New Year's, but have you tried uh, tequila? And he's like, It's been a good while since I've had some, but yes. And she's like, Well, now regular tequila tastes like gasoline. I had 1942 the other day, and it felt so rough. So for Clarification: 1942 yeah, yeah. was like a $200 bottle of... She's talking about $200 bottle of tequila tasting rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how high maintenance is this girl going to be? Like this is pretty uh, red flaggy. Uh-huh. Um, and so that... Wait, wait, wait hold on. Thing. I want to see. Does it go, okay, does so, it go on? So uh, wait, he says the... that's low-key depressing. Um, and then he's like, what other drinks do you go to in general? And she said, I love a good smoky mezcal with emoji and warm salt. I like really high-quality tequila. And then she goes on to suggest places to to go out and she starts mentioning like four dollar sign hotel yeah, yeah. restaurants and so that's like the i would get that a lot mm-hmm. um that's one example interesting but also you think about like what personality is cultivated in a city where like most girls come here to become recognized for something like in the music or modeling or acting scene like yep. you're trying to develop this personality that's like recognized right mm-hmm. so you have to be loud and well, I don't find that in Santa Monica. And again, to be clear, I've never so, lived... let's establish what he's saying. So you're saying a high maintenance in terms of money uh, wants you to buy expensive things and loud, uh, a- aggressive personalities. Is I'm not saying they, they will hit all of those. I'm but, saying like these are what I've seen a lot of. Oh, okay. I was just saying that in Santa Monica, I don't meet a lot of people who want to be actresses or models. Uh-huh. I meet I met a girl who was a consultant. Uh, and the date before that, she was a, a headhunter. That's uh, awesome. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's like was she hot? I thought so. <laughs> I was. I went out with her. Okay. So I have my sense, and I, do whatever you want. Live wherever you want. Well, he's married. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, mostly. You guys managed to hang out with that scene way more than Ben and I. And I think you're filtering for it. I think that all the plans you've had to get promoters to your house to like throw these types of parties, the people that have come. I've never, ever in two years had a girl say, let take me to a $4 sign place. I've never had anyone be less than gracious when it not never when it comes to splitting the bill i do think that there's a filter that you guys have thrown on your la women yeah most of the time i just ask people to go to the shangri-la you know the hotel bar near us yeah it's great and they're they're normally very excited Stoked. no one's ever been like ah, that place is kind of meh so like i would say five months ago i met just like all my friends met the girl um i met her in, in finland uh it was actually a pretty insane interaction like i was working at a laptop at a cafe and i as soon as i say hi she starts laughing and i'm like why are you laughing and she's like um i closed my eyes before crossing the street and i literally asked the universe to like give me someone who's like finally introduced me to a man who's interesting i swear to god this mm-hmm. happened she starts laughing when i talked to her and we had the like a, the most insane 22 minute interaction ever um just like so like insane eye contact asking really she asked me 80 percent of the questions really really good deep questions and um exchange instagrams and then ended up like basically dating for two months very uh she wanted the whole open relationship thing she was gonna fuck other girls mm-hmm. bring girls back have threesomes fuck other guys do her own thing she was like uh self-employed we did all sorts of fun activities together but I couldn't fall in love with her because in the back of my, and this is my own neuroticism, but I felt like if I, like there was maybe some self-defense mechanism by allowing myself to fall in love with her, 
um, and, and maybe not feeling the same back from her, I would get hurt eventually. So I never let myself feel that intense love emotion for her. Mm-hmm. Does why any of this make why sense? Why don't you think that she would love you back? Um, because she was other guys. Ah, okay. Maybe that's why. Okay. Um, uh, me, I don't know. I don't mean to put this on you, but yeah. weirdly enough, that might have been a way for you to protect yourself. Like, no, no, go for other oh, guys. Yeah, like exactly. that way, you can't love me that much, mm-hmm. and I'll know, and therefore I can't love you as yeah. much. Interesting. There was probably a lot of that. Okay. So I realized that I need someone who's emotionally doting. <laughs> who's a doting. Doting, yes. Uh, emotionally and physically, I want to feel loved. I realize that I'm a needy bitch. Sure. And yeah. and then nice. and then so this girl that I was seeing on and off is very doting um and i fucking love it man and mm-hmm. i am with her and it's gross um and it'll <laughs> it'll like it's calmed down a lot but but i really like that that Got aspect so I, I learned something so maybe you maybe you just need someone to well do you, you think and, do you think no. that that's that do you think with the first person if you had just been monogamous that you could have felt that way um it's possible uh she hit so she i had all these check marks that i thought i wanted like I mentioned and she hit a majority of them the open relationship thing the self-employed very hot very in shape uh ambitious like hungry for life like that level of energy and and I thought and that was on my like journal and I thought that's what I wanted and I met her and she didn't like I don't know she just didn't trigger the yeah. emotions that I thought yeah. I would feel with someone like that interesting yeah I so I don't uh maybe you're right maybe I'm right maybe both of us are not quite there yet i don't know maybe we're both fine uh when i hear what i'm hearing as an underlying thing is that like you're looking for someone to make you feel a certain way and in my experience trying to get the people around me to like cultivate an environment in which i can feel loved is not a long-term winning strategy and i this has mostly come from ayahuasca now mdma bufo but like trying to arrange the world such that I feel supported, safe, and loved seems to be a loser compared to looking internal and being like, how can I do this in the absence of all the th- people that I think I need or the doting that I think I might need? Not mm. saying that you should go down that route, but that's been my experience. Yeah, I'm thinking of the word for that type of relationship where they're both needing something from each other and it's very unhealthy. Codependent. Uh, codependent. Thank you. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. That's nice. all of my antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> Make me forget words. Yeah, no, that was the one the, the woman that I was most I thought at in love with, in retrospect obsessed with, was the perfect puzzle piece of codependency. Like I needed Fuck. her valid I'm not saying this is you. Yeah. I'm saying I needed she was doting and she reminded me, and I didn't realize this, of the love that I grew up with from my mother, which was touchy and doting and Unconditional. Uh, unconditional, except it wasn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, case, but, but it, it felt like it. It felt like it. Uh, and then it was mixed with the love of my father, which was more conditional. <laughs> and so I had to still achieve and perform and be at a certain level. Anyway, it was this whole chemical cocktail mix. And, and in retrospect, when I look back on I see this is just, and I mean this in the most neutral way, she's just a person. She's just a woman. She's like the fact that I thought that my life was going to be so much better with her is so humorous to me today. Uh, not saying that this is what you're experiencing, but what well, I'm trying to do right now is loads of MDMA and <laughs> ayahuasca and psilocybin and all this stuff to try to like feel love internally. Well, I mean, you're such a f-ing data collector, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's cool about I, this is very f-ing, um, uh, conceited, but I think what's cool about the three of us is like we're so horny i don't know horny we're so gung-ho for data <laughs> that like we ask everyone all of our friends before we do yeah like, at least i like i think you guys do this too before every major decision like marriage or so like the fact that we're talking about this is awesome mm-hmm. and um and i think this is something that not enough people do enough of like they don't talk to their mentors or ask around like should i marry this girl and strangely when talking to a lot of people about like how i felt about my girlfriend um and like the amount of data I've collected up to this point um, before meeting her and, and like applying it to this relationship, I feel so confident mm-hmm. that like she is the one. And, so, what is, so tell me what that means. So yeah. you're so confident that she is the one. What does that mean that 
you're very confident that you will never get divorced, that every day will be shining and wonderful. I know you don't believe that, but for instance, like what does the one mean to you? So I, those two things, those two examples, I can't predict, okay. but, but the level of, um, like happiness and contentness and challenge, uh, that I feel with her every day, like consistently is higher than any other relationship I've ever been in. Um, and, uh, and we're now, I mean, about 11 months in, um, it's a pretty like, and just even like on our first date, like I, I remember journaling after and just thinking, dude, this has insane potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had a more fun date in my life. And that's, it's like that every day with her. Like we just goof around. I can be a hundred percent myself. There is one thing that was interesting when I was, so the girl I was talking about before in Finland, um, my, I felt I felt this a little bit, but my, when my friends pointed this out, I, I really noticed it, that my personality was stifled mm. a little bit with her. And like, I want 0% of that. Yeah. With, and, and that's, and with the girl I'm dating now, it's, there's 0% of that. So let me, let me, I'm not sure if you're saying this. So when you say, okay, 11 months, wonderful, you are yourself. When you say you're confident she's the one, that means you are confident that that experience will perpetuate itself into the future as you both grow of course but you're confident that that can last forever for another 11 months for 11 years like what does it mean to be the one in your in your mind what sort of future uh confidence do you have with this idea of the one i think 11 months in given what we've been through um like we're past honeymoon stage and um have been living around the world together and doing a bunch of different shit together and Mm -hmm. experiencing some shitty shit together. Um, like I've seen all facets of her personality. Maybe there are things I haven't seen yet. Like as soon as she goes through, like who knows she has kids or his baby, everything changes. Um, so I cannot predict what would happen. Uh, at that level. So so your, your concept of the one doesn't necessarily extend so far into the future as it does of like, no, I'm confident. Is this right? Yeah. Like there are, there are some future projecting like going on, right? Like how will, um, she handle being a mother? Do I think Mm -hmm. she's like for if assuming I want kids, um, I, would she be a good mother? And are there like mother, good mother qualities in her that I've seen so far? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but primarily like, uh, the things that I mentioned earlier, how we make each other feel, um, how I can be myself, how she challenges me and vice versa, um, how she handles stress. Like she's very non-reactive, which is amazing. Um, I don't see there's so, but you're confident that those things will continue into the future. Yes. Got it. How do you know the honeymoon phase is over? Uh, I think that, usually goes on for three to six months when there's like peak sex activity and you're f***ing the shit out of each other and experiencing like sex love. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I've read and experienced, that usually doesn't extend past six months. So so the honeymoon phase for you is, is, the, is the sex, basically, where the sex is fire and the chemistry is what drives the relationship. Yeah, so at this point, we've like lived together for... Uh, a total of, I would say, four or five months. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had sex once. In the- <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I know we're going to fucking fighting. We're not <laughs> fucking. Yeah. Got it. Got it. If any, this is what always gets me about people who don't want to sign prenups. Uh, what kind of a friend would have you sign a contract with anyone in the world that says, look, if this doesn't work out, I want you to give them half of what you own. And, and especially if there's a disparity. It's like, that's not anything that I would expect been to do in our friendship or anyone else in any friendship. So I, when people don't sign prenups, uh, that to me is a giant red flag. If there's a huge wealth disparity. Yeah. I also don't think, I mean, the idea that you should get to anyone, guy or girl, should be uh, get to live the same standard of life that they did when they were with a very wealthy partner after they split from that wealthy partner is insane because the wealthy partner doesn't get the affection, the love, the sex, anything that they grew accustomed to in the inside of that relationship. So why would anybody get to keep the financial reality that they experienced. So we don't need to get into prenups. Deeply. There, there was one interesting takeaway from that podcast though, which is he does these weekly check-ins with his wife. Do you remember that? Where they would, that they would literally sit down once a week and talk about like a couple questions each on basically how things are going. What they, what do you like that I'm doing? What do you don't like that I've done? What do you want to see more of? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was, that Smart. sounded really healthy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. How long have they been doing that for? 
probably just zero times and it's something that he talked about because like i've had relationships where you come up with this idea and it sounds it's like a great idea and yeah. then after literally a month of it it just falls by the wayside or someone wasn't <laughs> doesn't want to do it or you start you still do it but you're going through the motions kind of mailing it in you know what i mean yeah. i think that would be an awesome idea but you ha you have to really both be committed to doing it and being fully present for it and that kind of thing well yeah. that's i think this is a good segue so poker <laughs> I, no, no, this is interesting because I got to be honest. When I listen to you talk about this and you're making a bet off of 11 months for uh, 70 years, whatever, like, like, oh, based on this much data, I can extrapolate this much experience, like what I expect. That does not seem like a good poker bet to me. So I want to talk about uh, what I imagine is you, you actually are, I really think, a very passionate, emotional person. Is that fair? Mm, I would say somewhat uh, emotional, uh, mm -hmm. but passionate. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So passionate meaning okay. like, yeah, can uh, you're, you're into this person. Like you, you feel your feelings strongly. Yeah. And, uh, you, and, and there's mm -hmm. part of you, I don't mean this in a mean way that like loves that, uh, coincidental magic that happened when you, when you bump into someone and, and can, can believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that that is therefore significant that, that she had had this the one woman had this perception of you that she said i wanted to meet this amazing guy and she did and you had an amazing 22 moments and you went home and were like this is something as opposed not to, just a coincidence this is 22 minutes of an interaction is mm -hmm. that am i wrong in saying that that's the way that you sometimes operate yeah no that's correct okay so that to me seems like a bad strategy for entering a poker match where you're like oh, somebody just said seven two and i have a seven two <laughs> like I need to go all in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So do you, were you an emotional poker player? I was initially. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you bring this up, that you have this perception of me that I'm this emotional guy mm -hmm. because I went through 10 years of intense poker training mm. where you have to build up this insane emotional resilience to bad beats, which are hands where you're statistically supposed to win, but then you lose. And you're like, fuck, I deserve to win that. I deserve to have this result. Mm -hmm. And you become attached to your results. And those results change and you think something's wrong. And so yeah, you go you, on tilt. You, you have, yeah, you go on tilt, exactly, which is basically just another word for frustrated. <laughs> you and, play, and you play stupidly. Yeah. Well, and yeah, you, so, start chasing, you start chasing the money that you think uh, you deserve. It's mine. So I'm chasing. Got it. And so I, I became this emotionless robot. Mm -hmm. And I was in this five-year relationship near the peak of that process and she noticed it and all my friends noticed it. And then it when I quit over, sorry, you don't, oh, mean, dude, you yeah. don't mean emotionless robot at the table. You mean your whole life was, uh, you were an emotionless robot. Uh, no, I was a uh, full of emotion person prior to poker. Mm. Poker trained it out of me. And but then it carried, it followed you outside the table. Yes, exactly. And then after poker, I literally went to therapy four blocks away for the whole entire existence. I was at the time I was living here to let my to like train myself to start feeling emotion again oh, wow wow man yeah that's fascinating because it sounds like what you didn't i mean you may have thought you trained it out of you obviously what you did was repress it you know and it's and it's clearly there's a part of you that is i don't mean this in at all a judgy way like you believe in magic and the one and like these are things that are not um universally agreed upon in this day and age but for someone who is such a a poker player to believe in that i think says something about the type of person that you are do you know what i'm saying I disagree. I think I believe she's the one because of data. Like poker is about betting with incomplete information. And that's what I'm doing now. I've, mm -hmm. I have not met every girl in the world and I have not fully fleshed out my entire existence and who I am. And like, that's always changing. Like you're a completely different person than who you were five years ago. And, and we're all evolving like that. Right. And so I don't know who I will be in five years from now, what I want as that person. But from what I can see with her, compared to all the other data sets that I have of thousands, literally thousands, like every time you go to bungalow, how many you meet, talk to 10 girls. Okay. Well, you used <laughs> to go think, to do a tour and then go I think what Charlie's saying is that, that you, you believe that you in use, the one at that all. That you use the phrase, the one. Yeah. Whereas like, I think even if Charlie got married, he would not necessarily be like, this is the one. Mm -hmm. He would say, this is the person I'm marrying because of the people I've met, it's I, who yeah. I like the most or I've Love gotten older and I want kids or any, whatever the explanation would be. Charlie's explanation if he had his current mind, wouldn't be that she's the one because he doesn't believe that there is a one. I, I'm in the exact same boat. Okay. I, so, I think that that's what I'm describing. Out of all the girls I've met, all the data points that I have, mm -hmm. she's the best of all of those by far. For Poker, you. Got it. For Poker me, analogy, yeah. you got pocket aces. 
you're feeling good about the bets beforehand. You're like, I'm pretty likely in. to win with pushing, aces, but it's possible that I'll lose and be Got wrong. It. Got it. Okay, so so going back to poker, let's just establish a handful of the things because I actually don't know the answer to this. Okay. Uh, you played mostly in person or online? I played the first seven years online. Okay. And were you doing like multiple hands at a time? Were you? How, yeah. old, how old were you when you got into it? Okay, so man, I'll start. So I moved to Asia to teach English. Yeah. And I finished a year of teaching English and I was in Shanghai. And I literally just reached out to random friends on Facebook. And with some of my old gamer buddies, I also used to play Warcraft 3 professionally, like at a salary and a fucking shirt. Whoa, that had wait, wait, Samsung wait, 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 what? I didn't yeah. know this. Dude, I had a shirt. A jacket that said samsung and spon- had sponsors on it i'd wear it to high school girls made fun of me so they call me professional losers wait uh, you were wait warcraft uh, warcraft 3 what warcraft this is blizzard uh yeah it's a blizzard so game samsung? it's a strategy game why that was a sponsor that was my the sponsor of our team uh, okay. pg got it was a professionally sponsored team from germany god and it. they had a warcraft 3 division and i was on that team and in high school in high school yeah. that's awesome yeah. how much did they pay you dude back then so esports is just insane yeah. now but back then i would get 300 a month and they would uh, cover my travel to tournaments in the u.s wow. does it hurt you that you didn't just stick with being an esports athlete forget poker forget real estate dude <laughs> if i could just stream on twitch in my boxers all day now <laughs> i would be very happy do you honestly think that if you went back knowing that esports would blow up that you had whatever the talent to do it because it's ridiculously competitive yeah it's, i don't it's i don't so competitive but also um but you have to be a character to yeah. make money on Twitch too. Yeah, I think I, I think I could be a character. <laughs> I would do it? some accents. I would make some risque <laughs> jokes. But not um, in your future. This is in an alternate universe. Yeah, where but the, dude, the it. poker thing is, dude. There's no value on on what I learned from poker. Um, it's insane. Like the business skills, the emotional like resilience to to bad things happening in your life and being cool in those moments, to evaluating risk, to uh, understanding like business mechanics. Um, a lot of poker players when we're now jumping all over the place, but online poker was banned in the U S mm-hmm. um, it's called black Friday. I remember like five years ago. I, I, think <clears throat> I, I lived in Vegas right around that time. So I knew Ooh. people who were, so you suddenly saw an influx of nerds like walking around <laughs> the casino. <laughs> Going Not to sure casinos. What to do. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Okay. Let's get to that in a minute. Let me just sure. start from the beginning of the poker journey. Uh, Cause there's a lot there too, but I was in China, reached out on Facebook uh, to some old poker buddies and they were uh, living in Japan at the time, um, a mix of Japan and Taiwan, and making 10 figures a month playing poker ten online. Figures. 10 figures a month, yeah. Whoa, whoa hold on. 10 figures? Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> five, 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 five figures. figures. Five figures. <laughs> ten, five figures. <laughs> they were making over $10 million a month. <laughs> That's, yeah. Okay, so like uh, ten to $90,000 a month or something like that. Yes. Got it. Um, okay, so... Uh, so they're like, dude, you have to come to Taiwan and learn internet poker. And, um, so I, I moved into my friend's house. I had no money and they had like the whole computer screen set up with like 15 screens mm-hmm. and, um, not 15 screens, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of screens, a lot of computers, um, a bunch of nerds in a, in a house making a shit ton of money. Um, I guess it was there an equivalent for this in like, like the old YouTube days before, uh, they reduced what you got paid from advertising on YouTube, well, right? People never really, I think poker is exceptional. Uh, people made some more money. Maybe they made twice as much. Maybe they made three times as much. But I, there was this group of people who were playing online poker against chumps a lot of the time, right? People that were just taking out their wallets and they were doing it eight hours a day. Well, YouTube six days also, a week. YouTube aggregates. Like if you started a YouTube channel 15 years ago, even if they cut your ad per view, you would have a huge subscriber base because you got in early. You know what I'm saying? Whereas with poker, there's not, you don't really build an asset. So when they mm-hmm. cut your pay, you're just kind of screwed. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish we had started YouTube 15 years ago because we'd just be 10 times the size. And even if we're getting paid less per view, we'd be making way more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of what happened with poker is when they banned online poker, 90% of the soft money disappeared from the marketplace okay so you're at you're there you've got all these screens they teach you you know some of the rules but they teach you the yeah so i i had dabbled a little bit in high school and mm-hmm. played with friends and around um but i go to this house and it's a completely different level and it was 16 hours per day like we would just get we would literally go to subway and buy four days worth of food put it in the <laughs> fridge and play poker all day long every day and let me it, this is no fun i imagine like uh, fun is just there for them it's fun because they're just printing money for me 
I don't know what they're doing. I can't understand it yet. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating because I'm not nearly at their level and I'm still broke. And, and it was two years of that. Okay. Like two two, years of like two years of, of insane levels of grinding before, um, I started like making enough to actually get me a, what <laughs> what do they get at that point in time that you don't yet get? I'm sure there's a ton of things, but like. Okay, so at the very like basics of poker, you have to understand hand selection. So mm-hmm. you're playing with six other people. What are the best hands to play from first position, second position? Mm-hmm. Um, and like there's all these various positions of poker. So just pure hand selection um, is like the base foundation of poker. You can memorize that, but it does take some time. Yeah. And there are adjustments you make like. For example, you would play very tight um, if the people in the, uh, like, do you know how poker, like there's yeah. blinds, like small blind, big blind, and then the rest of the players. So um, if, so I would play looser, for example, if there's a really bad player who plays a bunch of hands in the blinds who are the last people to act in, in mm-hmm. a sequence of betting, um, I would play it much looser because I want to get into many pots with this guy as possible. Okay. So the more hands I can play with this guy who I have a massive edge against, the higher my win rate will be. So there's positional awareness and then there's hand selection. And those are very important things to be uh, cognizant of. Um, and so the, the player, uh, the positional awareness is, is really important, especially if you're playing like 10 tables at once, which... How do you keep track of that? So what you're saying mm-hmm. is you know who's loose, who's this... And you and these people are, I guess, staying for some period of time so they can build up. You can start to get data on them. How do you manage 10 tables at a time knowing that do you, are, do you have a sheet like this guy's dumb? <laughs> this guy's good. Like, yeah. So so a mix of software. Uh-huh. Uh, so you could legally use software that would download every single hand you played into its database and then spit out stats next to every single player's name. And oh you could gosh. click on each stat and unfold this entire sheet that would take up your entire screen that showed you essentially how they played in every type of hypothetical or situation possible. So oh my you would, so you would look at, so just to go like kind of nerdy. So this on, is even more unfair than a shark sitting down with a, with a chump in, in Vegas. Yes. This is insanely unfair. It's unfair, but also, but the, so the disadvantage for me is it would like basically force me to play a bunch of tables at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, I, I'm honestly, it is very unfair. Okay. Yeah. Let's, it, let's be honest. <laughs> it was insane. Uh, so that's how you play. Like, I mean, I would play up to 24 tables at once. Wow. Um, and it would just be bing, bing, bing. I'm literally making micro decisions uh, like hundreds of times per minute. And how much is each hand worth? Okay. So at the beginning, I played um, $25 no limit games. That was like mm-hmm. the game that I learned on. That was my crux. So the way that you're supposed to increase in stakes is you take five buy-ins. Um, so the next stake up is $50, no limit. So you go play with $250. So $50, no limit means you buy in for 50 bucks. Yep. If you lose it, you have to reload. So you take five buy-ins worth and go up to the next stake. And that's it. If you lost those five buy-ins, then you'd go back to 25 and keep building up. Got it. So, um, so like getting up to 50 and then 100 and then 200, like those are, ma- every time you increase your hourly you know, 1.5 or two X's. So it's like and, and a massive, you're, saying you're doing this times <clears throat> 24 tables. So yeah, that yeah. you're starting with 24 tables, at 25 then 50 then a hundred. So at some point, you know, well, I was you're... just thinking if you screw up cause you're, you're juggling 24 tables at once. It sounds like the, ma- the most you're going to lose is 50 bucks. No, you're playing 24, 24 tables of 50 bucks on each table. That's what I'm saying. But so if, if you, if you're juggling 24 tables and you screw one table up yeah, 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 yeah. cause you're just going right. too fast and you're not yes. thinking you, you lose 50 bucks. Yeah. So, so what, our rule was if you increase in stakes, you would significantly decrease your table. So the max table amount okay. of play- tables I would play would be four if I was ever increasing stakes because it's a, compl- a completely different player pool that has a much higher level of understanding of poker. Wow. So Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. Is who are these mm-hmm. guys that are sitting down that don't know not, not to play 2-7? <laughs> Got it. Uh, so the guys that don't know how to play are literally just people that watch the WSOP, the World Series, yeah. Series of Poker on ESPN. They saw some guy win they're like i want to do that yep. and they take their paycheck they deposit it on poker stars <clears throat> um friday nights saturday nights those were amazing people would just yep. show up drunk and they'd be from like idaho and tennessee and texas and they'd have no idea how to play and they would lose like from tens to tens of thousands of dollars wow um 
just yeah. can't imagine. I yes, yeah, I can't imagine someone just <clears throat> on a Friday night drunkenly losing ten grand on online poker. But so I guess I'm just not being imaginative. I I eventually got pretty good. My roommate uh, was one of the best pot limit Omaha players in the world, which is a variation of no limit. You play with four cards. Okay. So it's much more degenerate, and you have to really understand um, like the. Uh, relevant value of your hand. So like based on the action that has unfolded in this hand so far, how strong is my hand? So is this, if this guy um, is showing a lot of like aggression and his stats indicate that he's typically a passive player, then something is fishy. Mm-hmm. Um, either he's bluffing or he has a strong hand. Given he has a passive history, he's most likely holding a strong hand. Okay. And so like you would, um, so Palomino, it's very important to pay attention to that. Anyway, he would make um, like, he probably made over 10 million from online poker. Wow. And I would just watch him make like 50 to hundred K in a night sometimes. Wow. Uh, jeez. And, <laughs> uh, but he was like literally like top five polyamino players in the world. Okay. So you're doing this, you, you're playing online poker, you get much better. You start limiting tables. How much you pull in when things start going well? Okay. So, uh, God, I remember like the first time I had a thousand dollar day, mm-hmm. uh, do you guys, did you guys have one of those? Like, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first time I had $1,000 a day. So I had software and it would show me how much I made that day and I would look at these graphs. Very unhealthy behavior because <laughs> one of the biggest lessons from poker is um, is like looking at short-term results and using that recency bias to determine like what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing correctly, like you could have, you could flip a coin. This is, I think, a really good analogy. You could flip a coin um, 10 times and get heads all 10 times. Yeah. But if you flip it a million times, you're probably going to get heads 50%. close to 500K. Yeah, yeah. And so with poker, like that's why there are bad players, right? Because bad players will go in and they'll make theoretically bad decisions that would mean that they should lose money, but they win. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that could happen with, with someone like me too. Like I, I could make an adjustment to my play style and, and suddenly have a $1,000 day and think, oh shit, this is clearly how I should play it. Mm-hmm. So you have to really view everything in a like large enough vacuum to eliminate like short-term results Mm -hmm. um and i think that's true for business it's true for dating like you could have a bad tinder night and think i'm never going to use tinder again (laughs) um and i think people do that a lot yeah but okay going back to poker got it no it's Uh, a good i think that's a good analogy though all right so i threw tinder out uh (laughs) i had dude i had a bad experience in 2013 in brazil when we started i didn't use it for four years after that (laughs) I was so, done with online. Dude, you might be a fish in poker. Yeah, I, might, I, might be, <laughs> I definitely am. Well, luckily I didn't. So I, we all played poker in high school. Yep. And I am, and I went to a casino early. And I'm so thankful that my first experiences in poker in the casinos were of uh, crushing losses. <laughs> no, no, I'm so thankful that I didn't win. Yeah. Because I, it has left a distaste about gambling in my mouth ever since, and I think it served me really well. Because. Had I won, I would have gone and lost. Yeah, but well, you know what's funny? I actually think you would be extremely good because you're very self-aware, and I think that's that's really important for playing live poker, especially. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be aware of every single tick, dude. It would like, okay, quick story. But when I eventually transitioned to live poker, um, I would wear a scarf. Like the level of detail to mm-hmm. block my pulse and how much I swallow. Wow. Like the level of detail because I could see it in other people. I'd be like, wait, if I can see their pulse increasing in their neck. Or and how you often would, you would see yes. the boom, 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 boom. Yep. Okay, okay. So you see that it doesn't mean anything in a vacuum. I assume what might because yeah, they might it, be excited or bluffing. And no, dude. If you're pulse. if you're bluffing, like for me and for all of my friends, we we would talk. We had a WhatsApp group. We would talk about reads and yeah. our own self analysis and analysis. About, we had like a Evernote with pictures of every single professional poker player or bad player in uh-huh. the world, and like would share notes on each person. You could type up like it was insane. So are there ticks that are fairly universal in terms of if I see this person's pulse, that's a bluff? Or is it like, no, I have to match the tick to the individual? Everything like you can't take one read and run with it Mm -hmm. um, in general. It has to be matched to what they've done in the hand so far and has to match the actions that they've taken. Got it. So if there's something slightly fishy about the line that they've taken in this hand where there's a like 55% or 60% likelihood that they have a bluff, that physical tell is going to push me, like move the needle enough where I'm going to go with it. Got it. Um, but there are some things that some players do where it's a hundred percent. For example, this is a tell that I've probably made over a hundred thousand dollars on. Um, when a bad player, so like in poker again, you have 
position, right? So somebody, somebody has to go first, some go second, and then that's it. And then onto the next card or the hands over. Um, so out of position is the person who has to go first because ideally you're in position yeah. and you can act last. So this is on the river. This is the last like street, the last, them, yeah. there's no more cards to come. Um, if I'm out of position, so I'm first to act and I'm considering what I want to do and there's a bad player next and he starts reaching for his chips, playing with his chips and like pretending like he's going to bet what it like, he's acting like he's about to bet if I check. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that he wants me to check because he wants to check. So yeah. I don't bet. So that would like, they do shit like that. So that's like basically, so this guy's, a, this guy's a fish, right? Yes. Not a shark. Yes. And so he thinks he's being clever. Yes. By touching his chips, trying to figure out, Oh, how much should I bet? Because if he were going to bet, he would just wait till you checked to start yeah. counting. Yeah. And so, so once you, know you see that, once you yeah. see that, you know that he's not got a great hand. Exactly. Yeah. So, that would dictate what I do, right? If I, have, if I have if I have a bluff bet. or yeah. if I have a hand that I want to get some value up, like I would do some ridiculous things. Wouldn't like, you bet that either way though? Um, okay, no, bet- because it, it dictates how much I bet. So if I have a really strong hand, typically like a standard bet size would be 50% to 100% of the entire pot. So if mm-hmm. there's 10K in there, I would bet 5K or up to 10K. But you can do some ridiculous things. Like if there's 10K and he's doing those shenanigans, um, you can bet like, five percent it's like something so absurdly small where you know he would never call any amount otherwise but you get that extra amount and like those small micro decisions ah. are like what can increase your hourly like added got game it. by so, so much you money. know he's got a loser and you're like i'm gonna win but i want a little bit more money out of this guy because so if, you, if you just double the pot he's, he's gonna fold he's gonna fold got it and so yeah. you take a tiny bit more from because he just wants to see what you've got in the yeah. final analysis. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so yeah, clearly there's not like, and if you, he does this, then that means. You think that alone has got, has netted you 100K in your that, life? Dude, I have that read alone. Like, Because when I coach people as well, I, I used to coach uh, students in poker, telling them about that read, that was like the number one testimony I got. Like, dude, I can't believe that read. <laughs> wow. That's your, that, you're right. Um, Give us some more reads. I like these. Any, okay. any other interesting ones like that? Uh, I mean, honestly, the pulse and the swallowing thing is, is really big. Because so this what is, is, what's the swallowing there, thing? There's, books like you could write just on those alone because there's real swallowing and then there's fake swallowing (laughs) (laughs) okay so so like professional players know about the swallowing read yeah so when i started playing and live poker um i would i would fake swallow to like if i had a really strong hand and i wanted and someone was looking at my throat (laughs) like they always do i would literally like fake swallow to get them to think that i had a shitty hand and that i was really nervous so swallowing indicates generally. So there's saliva buildup when you're nervous. Got it. And there's a trick you can do where you press the tongue against the roof of your mouth um, like hard and that can prevent saliva buildup. Mm-hmm. So if you're, so you're like, I still get nervous in really big pots, um, like really, really important hands or in tournaments or in cash games. And I would do the tongue pressing trick. And then when you're swallowing, you <laughs> this is fascinating. So, what, yeah. so when you're nervous, you, you generate more saliva. Yeah. But you can prevent that by jamming your tongue into the roof of your mouth. Yeah. You know, I yeah. noticed this with public speaking. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, you don't know when to swallow when you're public speaking. All of a sudden, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, then you have the biggest gulp ever. And it's, everyone can hear it. Yeah. So, wait. Um, so then, so then people, everyone in the poker world knows that, all the professionals. Yeah. So then what you would do is try to fake a swallow so they would think you were nervous. Yes. Yeah. I would wait. I would literally wait for them to look at my like throw or look in my direction and then swallow. Um, and, and like most people probably aren't paying attention to that kind of shit, but, sure. but some definitely do. And the fact that like me and my friends were talking about those reads all the time means that I'm sure others are as well. Did yeah. you ever, did you ever, I'm sure you did. Did you ever do a fake swallow and then have some guy bet big into you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. Acting nervous is like acting. Good acting is crucial in live poker. Okay. Like betting, like even when you reach for your chips, and the way that you bed them, like there's so many reads there too. Like how you throw your chips on the table and you can watch if their fingers are shaking. Mm. Like if they normally are very steady with their bets and then suddenly their finger f- slips, they're probably bluffing. And that, like that read specifically that I just said has also netted me a ton of money. Like watching new young poker players enter the scene of live poker, probably because of online poker. And they're just not ex- that experienced with the physical aspects of playing in a casino or wherever they're going to make slip ups like that. Interesting. Did anyone ever just totally get you 
I don't ever just just read you and and own yeah, you like they're they're consistently for, one level like above Phil me. Helmuth yeah. just got down, just sat down and just ripped away your. Money. You know what's funny is Phil Helmuth sucks. He's considered a massive fish in the poker community. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, he's very emotional. I've played a lot with him. He's ex- very very reactive. He gets tilted a lot, um, frustrated. He makes terrible uh, logical decisions in a very uh, like a wide range of scenarios. Um, but, but the main thing is that he tilts a lot, like legit tilts the stuff on YouTube. Like it, it's real. Mm-hmm. You can look up Phil Helmuth yeah, I've seen poker. Yeah. He explodes and it's real. How does he win the big tournaments then? Volume. He's played, first of all, he's played a, he plays every single tournament in existence. Um, also he, he is really good at, um, so he's bad against pros, but he's really good at, uh, against bad people. Got it. Like so, some, so for example, I, I have a friend who looks so nerdy. He's really, really good, but he can't get over how nerdy he looks. So when he plays against bad players, they think that he's a pro because of how he looks. So they like <laughs> oh, just, wow. they just they don't even fuck with him. They just leave it. I'm in group threads where they post like hand histories. Yeah. So like this is very common, but we'll write down an entire hand from beginning to end and share it with everyone for our notes. And like we all just laugh at the insane shenanigans that make zero sense from, from Got it. Phil. So in your own life, uh, how's your reading of people? Does this carry over or is it very poker specific? Can you tell when someone's lying? Do you get senses of business deals do, or do you find you're ripped off just as much as anyone else? Yeah. So my business partner, um, so I have a company that manages several hundred Airbnbs around the world. Mm-hmm. And my business partner was someone that I met through poker, mm-hmm. super sharp guy, very math heavy. He and I talk about reads all the time in anyone that we do business with what do we think they're going to do what do we think about this deal are they honest like we talk about that a lot Mm. and i would say we are above average uh i would say significantly above average so yes we are i am constantly trying to read people in business but i think i turn it off when i'm outside of a business setting got it Um, so when there's money flowing is where it it turns on yeah interesting any interesting business reads that you've made Ooh, I have to dig deep for that. Hmm. I think levels of shadiness. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like like getting out of like avoiding some deals that felt wrong based on how this person was acting in this meeting or how they sounded on the phone or and it sounds like this is more intuitive. Like you're not, it's not the same thing where you're like, I watched his pulse and I saw him. <laughs> it's like this person gave me a vibe that was, and then, yeah, do you see that thing that he yeah. did? His... I, well, I think like, so in interviewing as well, like going, doing Google hangouts with staff that I'm considering hiring. Um, yeah, you can, you, I would pick up like a lot of swallowing and, and things in their voice that, but I think you do too. Like, it's just something that, like it's a different skill set almost, but I probably started that skill set building with a like with an advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Because of my poker background. Got it. But then going into business from poker, it's not uh, it's not apples to apples, but but I did start with a like a deep knowledge base, I think. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the uh, how it ruined things. <laughs> so you get out of poker, you had to go to therapy. To oh, wait, hold on. on. I have I have some. Oh, poker if questions. you want to still go. Yeah. yeah. So. Did you do any training to survive the stress of this? Because I imagine this is an incredibly stressful way to live. Yeah, I did. So when we were living in Taiwan, we flew over a guy who teaches like the Zen side of poker. Um, And it was (laughs) $6,000. And he teaches uh, essentially like Buddhism in the context of poker. So, um, how to not be results oriented, uh, how to like recognize when you're playing your C game mm-hmm. and walk away and yeah, uh, how to do met, how to, how to take like deep breaths in the middle of a session, um, how to not let your brain juice get sucked away from, excuse me, um, how to not let your brain juice get sucked away from other shit other than poker while you're in the middle of a session. It's very tempting to load up back in the day it was MSN or AIM, mm. um, or email like in the middle of a session, right? You're playing four tables or six tables or eight for 16 and, hours. And and you want to put Skype on the other monitor or, and like anytime you're doing that, it's sucking away from your, yeah. so your hourly would get drastically reduced. Really? That's so fascinating. Um, and Not so, surprising, but that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So like a hundred percent of your brain juice has to be focused on poker. And if it isn't, then like 
you need to stop playing. Mm-hmm. So same thing at the at the table, like in a casino, it's very boring to sit there and uh, not use your phone and literally pay attention to tells and take notes and stay in airplane mode. And it's because I used to go, I went from a thousand hands an hour to the max of 40 hands an hour in a casino. Mm-hmm. Like that's how much a dealer can physically deal. Yeah. And I would get bored. I would yeah. get really bored. So my first foray into live poker when internet poker was banned was atrocious. I got f- crushed. Because <laughs> you were just bored. Uh, yeah. I would do, I just, You're I would, like, I could, I, I could lose 40 hands because I'm going <clears> to <throat> play a thousand. <laughs> I became much more loose. I just wanted to win every pot. Like oh. I, I was fighting everyone. Uh, I would fight for everything. Because like, you were used to winning a hand every minute or so. Yeah, yeah. But also, I felt like I had such a... I would watch the... Like, so for live poker, they have no idea what they're doing. Seriously. Like you could... If you played... If you were even a slight winner in online poker and then you went to a casino, you would just print money. Because they have no fundamentals. They've never studied poker structurally. They've never played at such levels of volume that that I have where their leaks never, they, they, they cannot reach the theoretical threshold where your leaks become uh, apparent and you start losing money. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so that, that threshold is about like 500,000 hands of poker. Um, they've looked at like standard deviation graphs in poker and, and they can see that at 500 K luck is eliminated. Uh, 99.9% eliminated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with live poker, you just cannot reach like you're getting 30 hands an hour. So just run the math. Like you, it, I think it would took, take like 20 years of playing full-time poker mm-hmm. to, to finally get to, finally to, get to that point. You knew if you were genuinely good or not. Exactly. So, <laughs> so like someone like Phil Helmuth, like yeah. he could just be lucky. I mean, he happened to, he's been playing forever though. Yeah. And he plays every tournament. So, um, so, so these guys would be playing live poker and they don't know if they're like, they don't know if they're good and they have never studied poker, but to get good online and to make money online, you have to be structurally game theory, like playing game theory, correct poker. Mm-hmm. So um, why'd you get crushed your first day then? Uh, because I had never played live poker. I was bored. Um, and I wanted to basically win every single pot. Cause I could, I saw how bad they were and I wanted to like fight them for pots where my edge was theoretically very, very small, but I like, I wanted to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I was honestly, I was probably tilting. That's, that's the true answer. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then I just, I eventually calmed down and got like a WhatsApp group going with some friends and we got really good at live yeah. poker. Did you Was wind it? up making more from live or? Um, yeah, because, uh, I got into some, uh, okay. So I, I moved back to LA when online poker was banned. I was living in Asia for five years and then, um, I started playing a commerce casino here and I could like the, the ceiling with live poker was very high because there were some super high stake games running in both in commerce and in LA home games. So, um, so once I got good, I could play some massive games. Like I played in a home game. I got invited to a home game with all with a hundred percent Israelis, uh, and, and, you. and me because I, I met this Israeli guy in, in commerce, um, at a high stakes game, uh, and I, I guess I started talking to him and I went to high school with his son. I went to a Jewish high school for a year and then got expelled. Different story for later. Uh, you guys will actually really like that story, but, <laughs> uh, but he invited me to, to this game and it was the most insane game I've ever been in my life. Uh, no one knew what they were doing. Um, average buy-in, I would say 20 to, uh, probably 20 to $30,000. Wow. Um, dealt by like some guy he was just around not even looking food like and they weren't even taking a rake out of the like they were we were just whoever won that night would just pay the dealer like a thousand bucks wow and um and that'd be it it was a very casual game and these guys were just real say guys or diamond guys they had no idea what they were doing how much did you walk away with uh so from that game i i only (laughs) i got eventually i got uninvited i (laughs) I probably made like 150k oh my god and and there was a night where i my last night um, I won 47 K and, um, I actually, I actually should have won. I should have like, I say should, because I got into a spot where I got into a hand where we both went all in. It was like a hundred K pot, the biggest pot of my life. And, uh, my math to win the hand was above, I think it was like 90%. Um, and he ended up getting the card that mm. like we ended up splitting the pot. It was ridiculous. It was insane. 
Um, so they yeah, stopped so that, inviting you because you're taking all of their money. Yeah, I was clearly a professional. <laughs> uh, I tried like, you the, know, I, I, I literally tried off. losing on purpose. But it was clear like despite like the way that I bet and my posture and like the way that I paid attention to stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like they can tell. So I got uninvited. <laughs> um, God, just so I, that was like my biggest cash game night. I also was telling Ben, I, I won a tournament for 700,000 once wow. in Florida. That was insane. Um, what did you do that night, that night to celebrate? I cried. I really? actually, yeah, it was the first time I cried in 10 years, but a good way to celebrate. I, so my friends were there. So there was like cheering and all that. I was like, I got, I, I got to go to my room for a minute. I went to my room and just like laid in bed laughing and crying for like 20 minutes. And then wow. the whole night, the same thing. Like after we went, we all went out and had an insane night. Um, and the whole, I couldn't sleep. I just like was laughing and crying. It was the most money. Like I just felt like this, my life was fixed now. Like everything was amazing. All my problems were gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like to this day, nothing has matched that level of, even if I did 800 like milligrams of ecstasy, <laughs> I could not get to that level of happiness. Wow. So let me ask. So obviously, I have a couple questions about the money. First off, uh, the attention that you paid in 60 minutes, what you're telling me is you're trying to get it as close to 60 minutes as possible. And what I mean is if I were at work at the corporation that I worked at, in 60 minutes, I might actually pay attention for 20. You know, like between the guy behind you and the this and I need a water and I got to go get it this and oh the boss is around here and uh let me check CNN or whatever 20 might even be high and you're you're approaching a, a max out hour or stepping away and you're doing it for multiple hours a day so let's start with this how much money would you say you've netted overall in this many years I've net about two million okay um gross earnings obviously much more than that I know like some people yeah, don't know yeah. what net means. So, so yeah, I net yeah. two million over ten years, which is actually not that much yeah. when you think about it on a yearly salary. Mm-hmm. So this is sorry my in qu- poker. What's the difference between gross and net? Yeah, I actually don't know. In oh, poker. so gross would be like, for example, if you look up Daniel Negreanu on CardPlayer.com, it would say he's won forty million dollars worth of tournaments, but it doesn't consider how much he's used to buy in those tournaments, ah. how much he's lost in tournaments that are unreported. So got it. So you're saying so you're saying so that gross if you win minus, a million and then lose yeah. a million, your net revenue or your net income would be zero. Yeah. So you netted two million. So yeah. After your losses exactly, and after yeah. buy-ins. So it's an average of two hundred k a year. Yeah. And the attention that you're spending, it seems like, is far more than in almost any other job that I could conceive of. So, uh, the true question: Is this is this hourly an effective way to make money, or is it not? I would never suggest anyone plays poker <laughs> again. I mean, because like, you know, how much hard work are we doing that, right now? Like, you, like that, you wouldn't say this is 60 dude, minutes. Dude, come on. Of... You guys work extremely hard. But, I mean. I think you're confused, my friend. But the, the last 10 years, <laughs> you write scripts for every video. Yeah. Um, that's got to be emotionally draining. You're... Oh, it's, it's hard in its own way. But what I, what I know I don't have in me is 60 minutes of uninterrupted focus. I have never in my life had 60 really? minutes. No. I'm incapable. I mean, I perhaps could learn it with this kind of training, but I mean, I have multiple tabs, multiple things. Ah, let's break for YouTube. Like I. Okay. So I, what I've read is there's system B and system A thinking. And what, mm-hmm. I think what you're describing is, is system B where you're not that focused and then you can only do a certain amount of hours of system A per day. That's and, a great point. Cause, cause my brain never turns off. I think about the script that I'm doing for the entire week i'm getting a massage i go to the massage so i can think about it i hang out with my friends i'm thinking how it relates i never put in that insane focus time where it's just that or very rarely but there's a lot of system b thinking which is like thinking about it at dinner when the waitress says something how that relates back so maybe it maybe it's hard in a different way yeah see i can't do that i have to be mm. very very hyper focused okay and it is super draining did you see that article about chess players and how much calories they're burning? No. Um, they burn something like 6,000 calories during a chess match, like Magnus Carlsen. Wow. Um, and, and Hikaru Nakamura. I think they did some tests on them. Uh, you can look at it. I mean, you have to look it up. I no, don't I quote buy it. That, but it was 6,000 calories on a professional chess match day. Jeez. And yeah, like the, there's a, all the pro poker players I knew were in frail. Just glucose. Yeah. <laughs> glucose. Yeah. Um, Adderall was very helpful. Uh, Vyvanse. Uh, so they're like, literally it's a, it's a thing in poker now that like amphetamines are like everyone at a final table, final table is just eyes wide open, 
and cold sweats and just like weird focus because <laughs> they're all unnatural yeah like dude it's it's the world series of poker like to get to the final table what you see on tv is after 12 days of 12 hour days mm-hmm. with a one hour break sitting on a nasty chair in a casino <laughs> with nasty people with the smoke filled casino smoke filled yeah. casino like looking at numbers and thinking about math all day long like your head hurts man it sounds My, terrible i would get migraines yeah um just like so focused to not swallow <laughs> for 12 hours, <laughs> pressing the roof, pressing my tongue against the roof of my mouth. So what does it do? I mean, it doesn't sound like a good gig, honestly, the way you describe it. What did it do for better or worse to your relationship to money in, in the way that you think oh, it man, feel I didn't about even it? tell you. So when I got to Taiwan and first started playing poker, like the guy that was my coach, he made me uh, tear up $100 bills. Wow. Like I would tear up a hundred dollar bill and light on fire and we burned $500 uh, over like a course of a couple months. This is a, this is an actual thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, forget about any attachment to money. Like you have money that means nothing to you now. Um, and all you're worried about is bankroll management. So what that means in the context of poker is you cannot have any risk of ruin. So any risk that you take by playing 24 tables of $50 per table um, needs to take into consideration your risk of ruin. So I can't, risk losing all my money um, because that'll eliminate my chance to make any hourly whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I would have to continually drop down stakes if I had more than 10% of my entire bankroll on uh, all 24 tables at once. Okay. Um, And the actual rule was, um, yeah, 10% is about right. Depends on how many tables you're playing. But Mm -hmm. um, so like there is like the amount that I've won or lost that day, it doesn't matter. It's just like units of percentage of, of like, bankroll that I can win or lose. And once I reach a certain amount, then I increase stakes. And once I decrease a certain level, I decrease stakes. Has it changed how you spend or think about money now? Dude, I am, I am the most frivolous. I've spent all my money. (laughs) Um, I don't, I've, people ask me like, what do you, is that because you you burned the the hundred dollar bills? I mean, is that, yeah, like I, 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 I know that I'm financially secure and beyond that, like I, um, like Ben has a financial advisor. (laughs) <laughs> um, you, you probably have one, I'm guessing. Do you? I have Ben. Okay, cool. <laughs> nice. Um, honestly, Rabbi Ben is <laughs> pretty good with money. Um, but no, I, I'm uh, massively, I waste money all well, the time. Well, how did you get into I real estate? I never return things on Amazon. What? How'd you get into real estate? Cause that's a, that's a smart thing to do with your money. Um, I, I had made so much that I had to do something with it eventually. Let's go somewhere. So and that's honestly what happened. So with this money, one of the things that I guess is very unique to poker, maybe there's other industries, it's a zero sum game. Like your gain is someone else's loss. Has that, do you see that impacting your other businesses at all? Is that something that you had to train yourself to break out of? I don't think about that at all in my other businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but think I, I think about the non altruistic nature of yeah. poker and, and to be honest, real estate as well. Like, how can you be passionate about real estate unless it's <laughs> yeah. some self-sustaining, yeah. like, yoga center for dog saving in Bali <laughs> or something? Got it. Which I actually am interested in doing at some point. But is that, a, is that a in your life personally? Is that something you want to rectify? Because I, I totally understand what you're saying. You're like, I don't mean this in a mean way. You're rent-seeking, and you're, you've made money from uh, people losing it in poker. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've done other things as well. I'm not saying you're a bad guy, but... Do you want something different than that? No, my, my entire life has been purely selfish. Like everything I've done to this point has been to make money mm-hmm. and, and in a zero sum environment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do want to change that. Um, and that's, a, that's actually an interesting question. Like when in life do you make the shift to do something altruistic? Like, is it when you've solved your money? Like, cause if you're like, I see this in LA all the time, the struggling artist, right? And I think what you should first do is solve your money situation and then do the thing that makes you happy. Because if you're trying to be a creative altruistic person, but you're constantly worried about making rent, you can't devote all your brain juice to this creative outlet and be hundred percent yourself because you're always worried about food and Uber Ubers and mm-hmm. getting paid back by that friend for $20. That sucks. Like it really, I have a friend who's really talented, uh, the, just suffice to say he's an extremely talented musician and 
he can't make ends meet. So he like can't devote himself to either occupation fully. I, like I, making money and playing music. You're saying. Yeah. I do feel like all the big musicians do do it that way though. I, I feel like most of the big musicians don't go start a successful entrepreneur business or start a real estate thing and then focus on music. I feel like they just go all in on music. Yeah, they flop on couches. They live very impoverishedly and then they get their big break and all of a sudden they're rich and famous. Yeah, but it's like 0.001%. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I guess what I'm saying is if you want to, weirdly enough, if you want to be a rock star, you almost have to do it that way. What about making 50K a year doing something just to secure a little bit of savings so that you can go commit to music in some capacity like or having a main gig and then a side gig of music sure i think the thing is oftentimes if you've spent zero to 18 focused intensely on your music you might not have the skill set or the pedigree that people are looking to pay 50 grand for you know what i mean i feel like i can build a bridge here so i think you you said get your money problem solved i actually think the uh, the variable that is huge for success is what one defines as a money problem. So for Ed Sheeran, who is Ed Sheeran now, he slept on other people's couches, didn't really have much to eat, uh, busked for money, and didn't care. Like, it wasn't a problem for him that he literally had to live on someone else's couch for years at a time in order to be able to play the guitar. Yeah. And His be threshold clear, you, you is did, here. You did the same thing. You my sl- threshold, dude, I airbnb my own bedroom. Charlie slept, <laughs> Charlie slept on my floor when we started Charisma on Command. He moved, I still had a job and he quit to, to go full time before I did and just slept on my floor on a little cot. And then like we got our two bedroom and we split the rent totally disevenly and he still didn't want to buy a bed. So he slept on his four inch cot on the floor. But uh, you were you were doing something that, OK, maybe I'm wrong, but the path to money was very clear there. Like you could map out how to make money on YouTube. I think the musician route. No, you don't. So we, we didn't have a YouTube channel. There was no route. Uh, there really was. I, I actually think a superpower in life is needing little. And what I determined that I needed was $1,000 a month to pay off my student loans, whatever my rent was, and then like $300 for food, which was just garbage, like eating <laughs> eating weight gainer powder. And that's what I did. Banquet, and, son. Yeah, yeah, it was. Dude, but- <laughs> I have a hilarious video from Brazil. <laughs> hilarious. Charlie's food budget was enough for one all-you-could-eat steakhouse. So we would go once a day. And he would just try to get a day's worth of calories in one sitting. <laughs> and it's a picture of him like near tears, just so full. Just, oh, oh, oh. It's just, he had to make sure he's like, there's no dinner tonight. Oh my God. It was hilarious. I think it's still online. Everybody, thank you. David, thanks for coming over, man. It's been a long time since you've no been problem, in this dude. building. Anytime. Do you want to get some food? What time is it? Yeah. 5.10? Peace. 5.20? You want to get some sushi? Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.